It's easy to forget that the things Jesus said and did got him killed. Jesus was offensive. We read about him 2,000 years later. We read the pages of the Gospels, and we can kind of keep him at arm's length. But for the people who were in the room with Jesus, they were really offended by him. We know this because they were so offended, ultimately they decided the best thing to do about this Jesus problem that they had was to get rid of him, to turn him over to the Romans who would crucify him, snuff him out like he never existed. Jesus was offensive. And in our modern context, I think sometimes we've lost the ability to be offended by Jesus. We have him in a safe place. But let's think about this for a second. If Jesus came, if he was who he said he was, and he came from heaven to earth, if he came from a place of perfection and harmony and the way things are supposed to be, if he came from there to a sin-broken world and he offended us, wouldn't we think, let's pay attention to what he has to say? Because he comes from a perspective that we need to listen to. So I hope this morning, this is a strange hope for a pastor to have, but I hope we can be offended by Jesus this morning. Because he might have something to say to us. He might have an offense for us and we can get on board with his truth, with his perspective. It's the first thing I want us to see about this text this morning is that Jesus is offensive. I want to give you the context for the story. We started the reading in verse 12, which is where the dialogue is uh, continually going. But if you go back to verse 1 of Luke chapter 14, the first verse gives us the context for the story. This, I'm setting this up for you so you see how offensive he was in the moment. In Luke chapter 14, verse 1, it gives the context. It says this. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So Jesus has been invited to a dinner, not just any dinner, but a Sabbath dinner. And not just any Sabbath dinner, but the Sabbath dinner of a prominent member of the community, a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, the Sabbath dinner was a ritual that the Jewish people would do every week. It's Friday afternoon, the sun is setting, and they would mark the end of the work week and the beginning of the Sabbath by gathering together for a meal. They would break bread, they would light a candle, they would pour wine, and they would remember God's goodness on the Sabbath. And it's this type of dinner that Jesus is sitting at. There he sits at the table. And as he walks into the room, I want you just to imagine this, walk into this Sabbath dinner and look at it through Jesus' eyes. He knows what the Sabbath is all about. It's an occasion to mark God's goodness, but he walks into this room and he sees all of these Pharisees and they are jockeying for position. The host of any dinner in Jesus' time would have a seat of honor. And it seems from the story that we read today that there were people who were using that seat of honor as a kind of tit-for-tat in the community. If you give me your seat of honor this week at Sabbath dinner, maybe I'll return the favor next week and make you look good in front of your friends. The Sabbath dinner, it seems, had turned into an occasion not to remember God's goodness, but to display their own goodness. 
to make themselves look good in front of their friends and to repay each other with favors. So Jesus walks into a Sabbath dinner knowing what the truth Sabbath is all about. And he walks into this self-advancing competition. And it's at this dinner, let's pick up the story now in verse 12. He's sitting at this dinner that he's been invited to and it says this. He said, Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Can you feel the offensiveness of Jesus? He's just embarrassed the host. He's exposed all of the guests for their folly. Basically, he says to them, hey guys, do you want to know what the Sabbath is really all about? Do you want to know what the kingdom of God is really like? It's pretty much the opposite of what you guys are doing here tonight. He says this, look what it says in verse 12, to the man who invited him. Jesus says this to the host of the dinner. Imagine you're hosting a fundraiser for homeless people at Greenwich Country Club. (laughs) And you've invited Pastor Nathan to come and say the prayer. And there they all are gathered, seated at their tables. I know the most expensive ones are near the front. And you say, Pastor Nathan of Stanwich Church is going to come up now and say grace. Imagine if I stood there and I said, grace, huh? (laughs) Well, that's ironic. Because I don't see any grace here tonight. Oh, I know. You're all going to congratulate yourselves later for writing a big check and benefiting the homeless. That's nice, but where are those homeless people tonight? I've been watching you guys. It's all about you tonight. Trying to get in front of that photographer to get your picture on the pages of Greenwich Magazine. I know. You're all here not because of grace. You're here because of yourselves. Let us pray. (laughs) If you're applauding, you have to invite me to your dinner party (laughs) and ask me to say grace. The people must have been so offended by what Jesus said. They must have wanted to say to him, Jesus, we're the good guys here. We're the ones remembering the Sabbath. We're not like those pagans out there who are forgetting the Sabbath. Come on, Jesus, get back on track. It's actually kind of exactly what somebody says in verse 15. It says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, why did he say that? I read a lot about this this past couple of weeks. I read in the commentaries. The best scholarship I could find seems to suggest that this was a catchphrase of the day for the Jewish people to differentiate themselves from those pagans out there. Think about it. Here they are at the Sabbath. They're breaking bread together. They're marking the Sabbath, unlike all those unbelievers out there in the city. Blessed is everyone who eats matzah in the kingdom of God. 
It's kind of an insider statement. And I think the guy is saying, Jesus, you just said something really offensive, implying that the kingdom is for the outsiders. But remember, we're the faithful ones. Blessed are the ones who are doing what we're doing inside this room tonight. Right, Jesus? Isn't that what you meant to say, Jesus? Jesus could have replied. He could have said, yes, yes. Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. But instead, he doubles down on his offense. He tells them a parable in case it wasn't clear enough in his opening remarks. He tells a parable, and we conclude now our series on the parables, in which Jesus gives us some of these upside-down truths. Remember, he's come from heaven to earth. He has a fresh perspective. He gives this parable that shows they're really the ones living upside down. He gives a right-side-up parable in which he contrasts two types of people. See, Jesus has been invited to a dinner that night, but he gives a parable revealing that he's the one inviting all of us to his banquet. And he basically says there's two kinds of people. People who think they're good, they don't need to go, and people who know how desperate they are for an invitation. The first group of people that he shows, they basically say, I'm good. Have you noticed this in our culture? If someone says, hey, do you need a glass of water? Instead of saying, no thanks, now we say, I'm good. I find myself saying that all the time. (laughs) This is basically what the first three people who get invited uh, report back. They basically say, I'm good. Let's pick up the story in verse 16. Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. I'm good. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. I'm good. And another said, I've married a wife, therefore... I cannot come. I'm real good. (laughs) Now, this is the point in the sermon where a lot of pastors turn what was intended to be gospel into law. I've heard this text preached a number of times, and this is often the point where the pastor begins to look at these three first respondents and to make literal allegories to our lives. They say that the man who bought a field, well, that's like us having wealth. The man who bought five yoke of oxen, that's like us in our work, our jobs. And the man who got married, well, that's like having a family. And then usually the rest of the sermon goes like this. If on Sunday morning when it's time to go to church, if you're too busy enjoying your wealth, or if you're too busy with your work, or if you're prioritizing your family and you don't go to church, you need to get on board and stop doing those things and come to church more. I've heard a lot of sermons like that. Now that might be true, but that would be the law according to Luke, not the gospel according to Luke. And what Jesus is trying to reveal in this parable is not so much that people need better behavior. He's trying to reveal a deep spiritual reality that the Pharisees were totally unaware of. The posture of their hearts, Jesus, again, is the one inviting them to his banquet, and the posture of their hearts was, I'm good. I don't really need a Savior. And he contrasts that with the reality, the posture of the people outside of that room. This was an inner 
circle. These were the insiders. These were the people who thought they had it all together. Look how faithful we are breaking bread on the Sabbath. Not only that, look how faithful the one is who gets the, the host's seat or the seat of honor. Look, let's congratulate ourselves. Jesus is saying, that's the wrong spiritual posture. I'm inviting you to my banquet and you don't even know that you are desperate for me. So Jesus starts locating the story outside of the inside of those walls. He starts bringing them outside of their little Sabbath dinner. He first brings them into the city streets, and then he brings them all the way outside the city walls. Let's pick up the story and see what I'm talking about. It's verse 20, verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame, the people who didn't get an invitation to the Sabbath dinner. Jesus is saying, do you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Do you want to know who gets invited to my table of grace? Not you guys. The people out there that you've been judging, they're the first ones at my table of grace because you aren't good enough. You're not all good. Nobody is good enough to earn a seat at God's table of grace. And then he goes further. He continues on even beyond the streets of the city. Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Here he is in the inner circle, the people congratulating themselves on their righteousness, on their goodness, people who have a spiritual posture of saying, I'm good. And he takes them, he takes the story outside of those walls, out into the city, and then outside the walls of the city. Now, there's only one reason anybody would be outside the walls of the city. If they had been cast out, if they had been left for dead, people with contagious diseases were thrown out into the, outside the city gates. People who had broken too many laws were thrown outside the city gates. They were left exposed to the enemies. They were left exposed to the elements. If you're out there outside the city walls in the wilderness, if you look up into the sky, you probably see vultures circling waiting for you to die. If you're outside the city walls, which is where Jesus locates this story, you are abandoned, forsaken, left for dead. Jesus says, those people get my invitation because you cannot earn a seat at my table of grace. Now picture yourself right now. Picture yourself outside the city walls. What are you feeling inside? And you see someone walking toward you, someone with a smile on his face. And he says, I've been looking for you. You are invited to a banquet. The host has specifically asked for you. Come on, let's get you cleaned up. We're going to go inside the city. There's a seat at the table for you. Jesus is trying to expose 
the spiritual condition of all of humanity. The Pharisees had made their little categories, those who are in and those who are out, but according to Jesus, all of humanity is in this category. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says this. Matt, can you put that up? Oh, oh, here it is. Good. Uh, It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You see what sin has done for us? It's placed us. It's placed a separation between us and the Father. We are, because of sin, outside the city walls. Do you see this? And so Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees that while they've made a categorization, those who are in and those who are out, Jesus is saying, for my banquet, everybody's out. Nobody qualifies. You're not good enough to earn a seat at God's table of grace. It is only by his grace that we get invited to the table. We are the person outside the city walls because of sin. Do you see this? And so if we get invited to his table, it's not because we've earned it. He's not giving us a reward. He's rescuing us. And we're unworthy. Do you know how he rescued us? Do you know how he made a place for us at his table of grace? He was taken. He was arrested. He was beaten. And he was brought where? Outside the city walls, where he hung on the cross, his arms were long enough. They stretched out wide enough to bring us in to his table of grace. We're not good enough to earn a seat at his table of grace. He's good enough to make a place for us there. When we realize this, maybe then we'll go out with him and find others. We'll be like Russell We'll go to faraway places or we'll just go to the cubicle next to ours or we'll go across the hallway or across the driveway and we'll say, come, I know this place where you're invited even though you don't deserve it because I don't deserve it and I have a place there. Some years ago, we were still living in New York City. I was running a ministry called Focus in New York City and um, the ministry was growing. We were hiring some staff. We were running the ministry out of our apartment And right around that same time, Nancy gave birth to Riley. And Riley was just this tiny little infant. And we quickly realized that it's hard to have staff meeting and an infant with colic in the same New York City apartment. (laughs) So we realized we needed to get an office. So we had this realtor who was helping me. We were running all over New York City looking for space. We didn't have a huge budget, but we were asking churches and businesses if they could be kind to us, if we could rent an office space from them. And we went to so many places. And finally, I remember we went to this church. We told him our budget, and the guy literally showed us a closet (laughs) that we could rent from him. So I said, you know what, it's time just to stop running around with a realtor and pray. So we went away to Martha's Vineyard for the summer, for our summer camp, and we prayed every day that God would provide an office for us. And I got back from Martha's Vineyard a couple of months later, and there was an email in my inbox. And it said, hey, Nathan, are you still looking for office space? My husband might have something for you. Here's his phone number. Give him a call. So I picked up the phone, and I called him. I'd never met the man before. 
And he said, oh yeah, I have something, you can come check it out, see if, if it works for you. I said, great, where do I find you? And he said, well, do you know when you're standing and looking at the Rockefeller Christmas tree and you turn to your right, there's another Rockefeller building there, it's 75 Rock. I'm on the 27th floor, come on down. I said, sweet. So I went down there and <laughs> found him on the 27th floor and he was showing me around. He had the whole floor and he had a corner of it for us and he said, here's the conference room and here's the kitchen and, and here's an office and it's got this, you know, I'm looking out the window, it's got this amazing view. You can see the Rockefeller ice rink over here and Radio City Music Hall over here and there's another extension of it where I can have my staff work in cubicles and I turned to him and I said, what are you thinking like for price? I'm thinking there's no way I can afford this, you know? And he said, oh no, didn't my wife tell you? It's, it's yours free. I want you to have this. And so for over two years, that was my office. And I walked in the doors of Rockefeller Plaza every day with my little security badge that I couldn't believe I had. <laughs> and maybe it's because I'm from West Michigan, but I had these wide eyes every day. I was like, man, I can't believe I get to work here. This is awesome. Every day. And I looked out my view of that awesome uh, perspective there, and I just was so grateful every day. But I noticed also, as I was walking in the doors every day, all the other people around me were coming in off the subways and coming in off the city streets, and everybody was busy, 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 working, 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 typing away on their Blackberries. This was the time when Blackberries were the thing. I'd get in the elevator, and people would be conversing with one another, and super intense and anxious, and I was still going, wow, I get to work in Rockefeller Plaza. <laughs> And it occurred to me one day, I could, I could view all of life like this. It's all grace. I don't deserve any of it. I'm not good enough to earn a seat at God's table of grace. I'm not good enough to earn anything from Him. It's all a gift from His hand. Even the fact that I'm here, I didn't have much to do with my conception but here I am. It's all a gift of God's grace. We were praying before the service this morning, and Pastor Chuck said, Lord, what a beautiful day. I can hardly even believe we get to enjoy this. What if we viewed life this way? Instead of earning and striving like the Pharisees in that room on their Sabbath dinner, always trying to self-advance, always thinking they deserve the best, repaying their friends for the favors that they gave them. What if we had our relationship with God like that, where God owes me for all the goodness that I've done for him. But what if instead we had the perspective of the person who was outside the city walls, left for dead, and we got invited by his grace to his table? Wouldn't that change everything about us? We're not good enough to earn a seat at God's table of grace. But the offense of the gospel is that he's good enough. He's good enough, and he's made a way He's given us a seat at his table. It's all grace. Amen.